0: Football-loving maniacs. Time for another interview here on Three Honest Lads. On the other end of the line, we have a very special treat. Head coach of OKC Energy FC, Mr. Steve Cook joins Devin Kerr and myself, Tyler Terrence. Coach, how are we doing today?
1: I'm doing very good. Thank you for having me on. And, and listen, I've never been called a special treat before. So this is, this is quite an honor. <laughs>
0: Well, a not so special treat, Mister Devin Kerr. How are you? I'm tired. I'm with Coach. I'm I, this is exhausting. I can't imagine being in those guys' shoes. I mean, the the run right now with the way the USL Championship's going, we got our eye on League One just for a little fun, and and why not throw a little Open Cup into it? And I mean, based upon the way things went for Coach the other night, I'm sure he needs more than a nap to get him back on track.
1: A, a lot more than a nap. You know, it's. You know, these these days are crazy, you know, where where you get in Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, and, uh, you know, before you know it, you're watching games on the East Coast at 6 p.m. and uh, going to bed at 1 a.m. having finished up in the West, so it's a... But, uh, can't complain. It's a fun way to earn a living.
0: Well, Coach, I was wondering if I could actually get your home address because I need to send you the bill for the defibrillator that I needed to have put in after <laughs> the Open Cup match that Demon Kerr and I were on the call for because that was just flat-out bananas. What were your immediate thoughts during the game, after the game, and finally able to catch a breath
1: afterwards? Yeah, I mean, look... I- I think I said straight after the game that, that for the neutral fan that that would have been a real uh, a, a, a great fun game to watch, a lot of attacking play, a lot of a lot of players who were committed to winning the game, and um, I thought it was a a great game for people to watch, to be involved with at times. Yeah, you, you know, I think the second half probably reflected it a little bit more accurately accurately than the first, uh, you know, 50 minutes or so, where it was just end to end to end and. Uh, Luckily we got out there with a win, but yeah, it was. I think it was a great spectacle for not only for for the Open Cup, but to showcase USL and and you know an East v West tie in the Open Cup, which is quite unusual, I think, anyway. Uh, So I think it was just a really good night for football in general. It was a really exciting game to be involved in.
0: Steve, next question here on a follow-up for the match. Tyler and I were just, we were taken back and it was, it was a multitude of things. One that springs to mind is you and I had the opportunity just before the match to talk. And I said, what I saw to you guys on the offensive side of things was great. You know, maybe not necessarily scoring as many goals recently as you'd like, but still providing a lot of opportunities. Those opportunities were obviously cashed in on in the match. Were you surprised not by your own team's capability, But were you surprised by the Tampa Bay Rowdies and their inability to get it done defensively? This is a team that only gave up four goals in the USL Championship coming in, only five goals on the year. Very stout on the defensive side, but you guys just seem to have a run at them.
1: Yeah, that's a really uh, great question because I think quite often, you know, you see the game as you see it, you know. And when I've watched their games this season, I've seen a team that... uh, very good defensively because by and large they have the ball uh, more than most of their opponents and a lot of their opponents uh, typically recently especially when they've got on a roll have kind of gone back into a four at the back with five in midfield and we really said look we want to uh, leave strikers a little bit higher we might expose ourselves because quite often when you play three at the back you're either going to make it a five and be very defensive or one of your back three has to join into midfield a little bit at some point. And then when you have an Omar Gordon and you have a Deshaun Brown who came on later, you have the ability to exploit those big spaces. And we felt that if we could get into 3v3 situations in uh, basically a, a half field, 60 by 60, we felt that we would have the ability to break them down two or three times in the game. So we weren't surprised with the way that the game was tactically Sometimes, obviously, you can exploit it because you, you you do some good things and sometimes you can't. But um, we weren't really surprised with that. What I think we, we were surprised with is that they never particularly went to a back five or even a four at, at most points. Uh, and that kept the game kind of flowing. But I think when you score so early and then they get a couple, then we get another and then they get one, you know, sometimes the momentum of the game means that you never quite get into that defensive block for them. And then obviously for us, we feel we have a good ability to uh, block and break. So I think we did that. And once once it went to uh, 3-3, I think we, the game became a bit more comfortable and get a bit more uh, we had a bit more structure to w- what we were doing defensively, and then obviously we had a couple of moments of uh, counter-attacking. But not surprised, but um, you know, b- believe me, you never think you're going to be in a 4-3 game ever. So uh, it was it was a it was a fun night. And
0: coach, and- you mentioned Sean Brown coming in, and it was just sort of written in the stars that he was going to come on and score against his former club. We obviously didn't think that a goal in the 60th minute of a game like that would end up being the game-winning goal. But when the ball gets played all the way through to Alexi Bassetti who was obviously having a terrific night, and he takes that initial first touch and decides to lay it off for Brown, who Devin and I noticed didn't even pick up his head and realize that the ball was going to get to him once it actually hit his foot. Were you just saying, oh, good Lord, how are we going to waste this opportunity? Or were you
1: confident the entire way that that was going to find the back of the net? I, I wasn't confident at all. You know, I thought we'd actually wasted the opportunity, you know, and, and when you saw it live, I don't know if the cameras picked this up, but I think we broke down the right with, with Omar. It was, a good, it was a good counter-attacking moment and we we're kind of in that 3v3 situation we talked about. Bassetti sprinting down the left, Deshaun hurtling through the middle and I think right on the edge of the box as Deshaun was going in to try to get on the end of a cross, there was a, a little bump and Deshaun fell down and he spent about three seconds complaining with his arms out, kneeling on the ground to the referee and then as Alexi pulled the ball back to him, he suddenly sprung to his feet and had that touch and, and, and you know I thought we'd kind of wasted the opportunity but Deshaun has the ability and the power and pace and strength to sometimes he creates a lot of opportunities so when the ball fell to him I, I was quite confident we'd score but um, you know to to that point it was a bit of a weird one you know and uh, but again Deshaun is a terrific player he's a great human being he creates so many opportunities as you saw on the night, you know, he, he might miss a couple here and there, but he has a knack of scoring them as well, and uh, we feel really, really fortunate to have him with us.
0: Steve, for so the fans at home, to give you an idea of, or to give them an idea, I should say, of the thoughts in your mind, you guys finish this whirlwind of a match, 4-3, it's back and forth, and respectfully, and I'm sure you would you would feel the same way, maybe not the best on the defensive side of things from both squads, however, true test of character, guys backs up against the walls, against a really stout defensive team and a good coach in your Collins and you show you can get it done you're now 5-1 and 2 in the last eight games and you've got a a good opponent coming up this Saturday not a lot of time to necessarily dwell on it and go back to all the tactical things it's more like regeneration you step off the field what's the message to the guys immediately and what's going to be kind of the next two days like for you as you prepare for the weekend
1: yeah you know I I think for me particularly at the end of the game you know you you have a moment where you're, you're happy and then it really becomes relief you know and You're through the game and immediately after the game, you're saying, "Okay, who hasn't made it through the game? So Christian Isley's got a bad injury, um, so he's now going to need some medical attention. He's going to have to go get an MRI and and he's going to have to really take care of that. So immediately you you turn your focus to who's not going to be available for the game in two days' time. Um, And then immediately we we sat in the the locker room till about 1am chatting about our thoughts about that game, but also really not only reflecting on what we just saw, but really more importantly about what was going to be coming up in the next few days. I think I got to bed that morning around about 2 a.m. because of all the delays, probably fell asleep around 3 a.m. And then by 7 a.m. I was up again just looking at some uh, options um, uh, for the weekend and making sure that we, we checked medically on the players, making sure that I got ahead of that. And then really, like you said, the next two days, is, is about medical attention it's about making sure that regeneration is done properly keep reminding players of the correct nutrition the correct hydration making sure they get plenty of sleep uh, and then really just kind of mentally switching quickly to the task at hand which is la galaxy coming into town this weekend so while while you're answering questions about the past weekend really your thoughts and planning have gone to the next weekend and I think when you get a group of players who are experienced and they've they've been through these uh, ebbs and flows of a season before, they can quickly turn their attention. So it w- it's been a really interesting few days and one that I think we're more than prepared to handle. Um, obviously, we have some other considerations like the Gold Cup coming up and losing a few players. So we're having to carefully manage and manipulate the group a little bit to to be not only fit and ready to go, but also fresh in the mind and fresh in the body and keep them keep them happy and, and make sure everybody's ready for the, the month ahead which is June, which looks like it's gonna be quite a task.
0: Coach, just one quick one uh, on the open cup specifically as as a whole you mentioned sort of the bizarre matchup with you and tampa bay you have an east and a west coast matchup within the third round of the u.s open cup devin and i have gone back and forth on this a lot and i find it baffling especially in the earlier rounds when you still have teams from the same leagues and you still have amateur teams in play i mean phoenix and new mexico were labeled in the central region we thought it was bizarre that florida soccer soldiers had to go travel to north carolina when you still had tampa bay a team that's in their state in the tournament do you like the idea of playing a team that you wouldn't normally play within the open cup or would you prefer for the travel to be limited and play a team like Tulsa if they were still alive in the third round and play someone a little bit more local?
1: I loved it you know I, when the draw came out I, I, I thought wow this is going to be fantastic you know a team that we don't see too much of I mean look I, I watch all the teams on, on film but um, it's not quite the same so I, I thought it was fantastic and a really exciting experience I think for the fans to a great team uh, coming to town, players that they probably haven't seen too much of, if if anything of. And so I just thought it was a really great, uh, great tie. You know, uh, we could have been playing Tulsa. We could have gone down to maybe San Antonio or Austin or El Paso or somewhere in our region, play Colorado and New Mexico. But I think the joy of the game was playing somebody brand new. Um, And obviously where Oklahoma is, you know, I guess geographically we could be in anybody's region, right? You know, so Um, But I thought it was fantastic. And and to be fair, I'd probably personally be more inclined to say, why don't we just have an open draw, call it the Open Cup, have an open draw and uh, and go from there, you know, because I think it would be... I think it would be a real exciting thing for the fans to see, and you might you might get a few more people out of the games as well.
0: All right, Coach, let's backtrack here for a second. We've had the Liberty multiple times to chat with you, and we always enjoy them. We've gone deep into your background before. The fans haven't necessarily experienced that. Let's start from the beginning for you. And, again, we've gone back and we've talked about your youth and playing and, and your ability to kind of go forward with coaching. Can you give the fans an idea of mentally, in your teenage years and moving into your 20s, what direction you wanted to go with coaching, how this came about? About your time at Sheffield Wednesday and just kind of lead us down the coaching path from the beginning.
1: Yeah, you know it's uh, it's an interesting story because um, you know I, I wasn't good enough as a player to make make uh, uh, you know the heaps of money that some players can make. And so quite quickly at a very young age, I was I was interested in coaching. The more I did of it, I I liked it and I was excited about the prospect and and was always thinking about the game. And probably my brain was working better than my feet were. Um, And so while playing, getting put into the uh, coaching realm as well. And then at the age of about uh, 21 or 22, uh, I was actually going out with a girl uh, whose dad was the chief scout and uh, uh, youth development officer at Middlesbrough, who'd happened to bump into an old friend of mine, Clive Baker. And uh, he said, hey, Clive Baker said to give him a call. And uh, so I, I gave Clive a call. Uh, and said, hey, how are you doing? And he asked me down to Sheffield Wednesday again just to go down and take a look. And I went down there and within about an hour I was coaching a training session. And uh, uh, after the training session, he said, by the way, we'd like you to come here. So I quickly got thrown at a pretty young age into working with some really high quality people, uh, high quality coaches, real great mentors for me at Sheffield Wednesday. And, And quickly I grasped the concept of helping others and making sure that that my brain was working for other people and trying to develop their careers as much as it was my own, and and I just fell in love with the idea of uh, you know developing players not only not only from a playing standpoint but from a human perspective. I worked with some terrific young people who who were great players at the time, and my my six years at Sheffield Wednesday were in the Premier League and. Uh, It was just a wonderful time to be alive. And in 91, for example, we won the League Cup in England. In 93, we went to Wembley four times. And as a naive young coach, I kind of thought this was going to be the way it would always be. And uh, I don't think the club have been back to a final since then, 1993. So it was an interesting beginning and a real high-end beginning working with and and alongside some really tremendous people. And I I think those formative years for me were something that really... uh, framed not only who I am as a coach but also some of my thoughts on the game and really gave me a, a kickstart into the rest of my career and 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 fortunately for me I had great people around me who also then encouraged me to take a leap of faith and come to America in uh, 1996 so uh you know that's a, it seems like yesterday but it's 20 odd years ago now but I, I, I'm forever grateful for those early years for sure I think it was a not only taught me how to be a coach but I probably became a a little bit more of a man as well during those days as well.
0: Coach, you just mentioned the the move from Sheffield Wednesday to the United States. Why, why the leap across the pond?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I don't know is the answer. Um, I I I had a friend in Phoenix who who was doing a bit of coaching, and I'd come out to visit in '93 and thought it was a cool place. I was out in Scottsdale, you know, the weather's gorgeous and and you know it's a beautiful place to be. And uh, when I when I went to ask uh, my dad and I went to ask my granddad and I went to Asked Clive Baker at Sheffield Wednesday, all of them kind of gave me the benefit of their experience and said, You know, you should give it a go. It, it might be something that you, you like doing. Uh, they said, Look, if it doesn't work, you can come back here and live. And then the the, the kind of kick, kicker was when Clive said to me at Sheffield Wednesday, And by the way, if it doesn't work out, come back, you'll have your job back. So it was kind of like a, a gamble that wasn't really a gamble. And I thought I might come out for six months and have a good time and do a bit of coaching and then go back. Uh, but I kind of got the bug not only of coaching over here but seeing how the game could be developed but more importantly i think that the life of where i was in scottsdale was fantastic and and just really really enjoyed the people and the and the the future of the game i had an opportunity about nine months after being here to go back to work at fulham and went over there i thought i was going to do it um but then flew back to scottsdale and you know the sun was shining again and i was on the golf course and i said you know what the hell, there's no chance I'm leaving. You know, this is, uh, this is uh, my future. And so quite quickly, I turned my mindset to that. And, you know, working with, a, you know, back in those days, I worked at a club called Sereno Soccer Club in, in uh, Arizona. And we were doing three and four training sessions a day, every day, uh, working ridiculous hours, but loving every second with a great group of people who worked their backsides off trying to help these young players succeed. And I look back on those, and people often talk about like the ten thousand hour rule, and we were get we were getting that in in next to no time, you know, because we were so dedicated to not only helping these kids, but being at the field was a lot of fun and doing training sessions and taking the club forward. so I think we actually, in the space of three or four or five years there got our ten thousand hours in no problem, and it was just a really good start point for me in america and and quite quickly um you know became more qualified and became more. Uh, involved in the game in America and, and to be fair I think it's probably the best decision I ever made
0: I love that little quote that you know you want to use your brain to, to be able to help other people around you as well as advance your own career you were obviously helping a number of youth players um, within the Arizona area for, for a number of years before you ended up um, oh. moving over to the Colorado Rapids side of things any one player in particular um, in your time in, in Arizona and, and at the youth level that really sticks out in terms of working with them day in and day out and seeing them progress Um, Around the professional ranks.
1: Well, we had quite a few. You know, when you look at, um, you know, Brandon McDonald, uh, uh, Blair Gavin, um, who's now at Phoenix, and then you look at um, Robbie Finley, players, people like that. We had quite a lot of girls on the uh, uh, national team side. Jessica McDonald is probably one who stands out. I didn't really work as much with her as I would have done some of the boys. Um, You know, what sticks out to me more, not so much the individuals. Obviously, that's always critical, but but the collective mindset of that group of people in Arizona—it was like lightning in a box—and we had a very hard-working, disciplined culture led by a a guy called Les Armstrong, who, uh, when I first came to America, was again another real mentor for me, who just set the the standards of excellence every single day, and and we just loved being at the field. You know, we we were we were single and young and, and enthusiastic, and hard working and just really wanted to be at the field so on an average Sunday morning when other people were staying in bed we were just at the field working you know and trying to really help these players and we and I think a lot of that brushed brushed off and when I see now a Jessica McDonald going to a World Cup base you know 30 something years old that perseverance and passion for the game and wanting to become better I think that was prevalent right throughout the soccer club you know I think it was just a really good culture to be part of at the time. So the, there are so many individuals. I, I wouldn't care to um, uh, mention just one of them particularly, but, but the collective was incredible. One of my more memorable players, because I, I see him now, is a guy called Jim Wormsley. And, it, and you're saying, who, who the heck is Jim Wormsley? But if you're in the ultra running community, you'll, you'll know the name of Jim Wormsley, been the, the world's best ultra runner. And, and this is a guy who played for our teams for a number of years. I could barely stop the kid running up and down the wing. He was—he was like a crazy man running all over the field. And uh, here he is now today, uh, the best ultra runner in the world. So he's one who I look back at his mentality and his fortitude. And now I, I feel like a little bit of a part of him. You know, when I was telling him to stop running and uh, focus on soccer, I, I feel like a bit of a crazy man now. But uh, this is a, this is another person who not only benefited from a soccer standpoint at that time, but in a human perspective, now has the drive and determination to succeed a world, world, world world-class level, a a, a pretty uh, big thing like like ultra runners and you know, he runs 100 miles like I'm running about half a mile. So he's a, he's a special human being that was around at the time as well. Great stuff. And Devin and
0: I actually have the pleasure of knowing Blair Gavin. Um, we, we do a number of Phoenix games. We were out there hosting a charity event. Um, Blair is, is definitely one of our favorite people. Um, what was your interaction with him like? And, and he sort of had an interesting path. I mean, he was very much a, a part of the 18 and the 11 for, for Phoenix in 2017. And all of a sudden, he's basically Rick Johnson's right-hand man on the bench in Phoenix as a coach now.
1: Yeah. Blair, Blair was a, a very good young player, very talented and hard working and he was part of a team uh, that team was coached uh, as I remember it well by a guy called Pete Liebrook who is still in Arizona working really hard and an outstanding coach of young players who gave them uh, technical freedom and decision making freedom and they, 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 they played in a way that was really brilliant for their development both in the short and the long term and uh, and Blair was was right in the middle of that group and from that group, there were, there were some really, really good young men and good players come round, and and Blair was one of them who um, I believe then uh, went to university and and did a great job up at Akron, and then becomes a professional player. I know he did it. He went to Cheevers and and did well there. Then then after that went down the USL road, and it was great to watch him. But more importantly, you know, to see a young player that you you know, grew up looking at as a, as a kid, growing to the kind of man that Blair is and, and the kind of man that is now making an impact in other people's lives. It Give me, gives me personally a lot of satisfaction. I know many, many other people will think the same thing. And I think as a coach, one of the best things that will ever happen to you is you know the trophies are nice and the wins are nice and occasionally you'll get a pat on the back but what is really great to see is people that are thriving um and and are now coaching and are now educating others and are really passionate about the game that you knew when they were young people and you just hope that you have some kind of a, a role to play in that a very small role because most of that is from from the human being itself and I just think that uh, it's nice to see Blair doing so well at that club. Corey Robertson, the goalkeeper coach, was actually a a goalkeeper of ours at the club as well in Sereno. Uh, And obviously I've known Rick Schantz for many, many years through uh, his work in Arizona as well. So... I have a lot of friends back in Arizona, and it's great to see them doing so well.
0: Steve, you already sort of transitioned from your your youth time and then kind of getting everybody going at the pro level, at least the United States. Let's talk about that and your involvement with the Colorado Rapids. You have an involvement at the academy level. You're an assistant with the first team. Can you kind of talk about your transition into MLS? how you ended up with the Rapids and kind of just your development as a person, as a coach within your time in, in that organization.
1: Yeah. I, I loved my time in Colorado and, and look back on, on it with very fond memories of the people and the place. And and, and I wish them all nothing but great success when I, when I, I was actually coaching in Las Vegas and, and had a, a sit down with a guy called Mitch Murray, who uh, used to be the head coach at Santa Clara is now a, um, a, the head of scouting for the Colorado Rapids. And, uh, Mitch one day just said to me, hey, what do you think about coming over? You know, we'd love you to, to come and be involved with our academy. And, uh, you know, it, it was a decision that was difficult to make at the time. Uh, personally, financially, it was, a, it was a tough decision to make. Uh, but I made the leap and it was more of a leap of faith, gambling on the fact that I would be able to go there, do good work, and maybe there would be an opportunity to, to further my career that way. So uh, I decided to make that jump and, and really immediately knew I'd made the right decision because suddenly you jump off one ladder where you're relatively near the top, you jump on, onto another ladder where you're nowhere near the top, but it has a lot long, uh, longer way to go. And I just really enjoyed my time there, helping some young players, becoming in a more professional environment, making sure the vision for those players was one that was of a very high level, uh, of being a very good professional player and playing at a good professional level in Major League Soccer. And, and really sharing some ideas that I had about the young players and uh, how it can connect with the, with the first team and the professional players. And, and I really just had a really good time there. And, you know, it started off in, in many cases working at all different levels of the academy, from the Alliance for the local youth clubs to our development academy players to, to uh, uh, future professional players working with the reserve team uh, when, when Major League Soccer still had a, a real reserve team. And then uh, when Oscar Pereira came in, he asked me to just be part of the group of, 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 as an assistant coach, but really helping a lot of players individually or doing small group work. And then it just really developed from there. And when I look at the people I was around there and, and Oscar Pereira and Wilma Cabrera and, and, and Paul Caffrey at the time were still very high, high level coaches in Major League Soccer. And obviously Oscar is down in Mexico. It was just, again, I, I was really fortunate to be around really good educators, people who were passionate and hardworking and people who knew a great deal about the game and could help me improve my knowledge and improve my craft and also help me uh, develop my my career and professionalism. And I could I could take the little bits that they could give me and, and, and really put them into my own spin. And obviously later on in, in, in my time there, Pablo Masueni came in again, and uh, we just had a, an absolute whale of a time. And uh, luckily for me, it, I stayed there for eight great years. It was a fantastic time, but I'll, I'll, I remember all of them with, with incredibly fond memories. And uh, I think when I look back on my career, I've made several moves. I've stayed in places for a long time, but made a few different moves. And every single one of those moves I've made took me personally to much, much bigger things. Uh, not, not necessarily financially or anything that people regard as being important, but they took me to meet people and learn more and Develop my craft more, develop myself more every single jump of the way. And I think Colorado was a big, big part of that.
0: Steve, you you mentioned some pretty big names there in the likes of Wilmer and and Pablo. And let's, let's talk about the combination of all that. And I loved your last comment you just said about how, you know, to some people, other things are more important to others. But you said, you know, that it's made you a better person and coaching wise, it's helped you develop. If I'm a player and I'm in your dressing room right now, what's it like to play for you? In your mind, if I'm standing there and I'm being handed a shirt, what are you asking of me? What is your style like? What are your philosophies like? Give everybody an idea of what it's like to play for Steve Cook.
1: Well, listen, I I, I guess that would (laughs) depend on which player you ask some days, you know? Um, I
0: think,
1: I think, uh, I I would like to think that um, the players would see me as hardworking. They would see me as Somebody who's passionate not only about the game but about them. Uh, I, I think relationships are probably one of the biggest things we can do as coaches. I think developing our relationships with players, you know, they're going to be human beings a lot longer than they are soccer players. And I think uh, these young men who are, who are tremendous athletes and tremendous people sometimes need an arm around the shoulders. They need advice on many, many different things. I'd like to believe I'm somebody who's available to that. But I like to create an atmosphere of fun and enjoyment. I think happy players make for better players. But also, I think all players these days, especially, they want some autonomy. They want to be given the the ability to make decisions both on and off the field. And, and, and so we can direct them in a way that is make intelligent choices, create the culture around the dressing room that is fun to be around. And they make great choices because they want to search for greatness themselves. They want their team to be successful and they want their careers to improve and go in a better direction so I think if you give the players this level of autonomy, you give the players the ability to make great decisions, by and large when you get good people they will make great decisions and that goes on the field, it goes off the field Uh, I believe that that we have freedom in attack and then we structure it from a defensive standpoint Uh, I think the players would say it's a fun atmosphere to be in, it's a very professional atmosphere to be in Uh, OKC Energy as a club get a lot of credit for that because they've given me the freedom to build a group that I I, I think we we need to build and also develop the club off the field, for example, training ground and facilities, etc, the way that I believe it it should be done. And and I think, you know, you'd have to ask the players this question to get a real answer. But I believe that uh, wholeheartedly it's one environment to be in, the culture is one of positivity. Uh, but the culture is also one of hard work and commitment, not only to your career, but to each other. Devin, were you
0: taking notes there? Positivity, creating a culture, maybe an arm around the
1: shoulder <laughs> sometimes. Need
0: that too. It's basically everything that I share with you and more. I mean, I couldn't ask for it. And, and I look <laughs> forward to putting pen to paper and letting you know that I'm now ready for a divorce because you don't give me the same thing back.
1: I know a good lawyer you guys. <laughs> Oh
0: goodness! All right, we'll try to stay on track here. So I don't want to focus on 2018 too much because you guys performed so well at the start of 2019, especially the the Tampa Bay Rowdies. But just want to sort of tie it all in. This time last year, it wasn't looking so hot. You guys only had one win basically after 11 weeks, but now you know it's a really it's a good start to the season. You guys are in a playoff position, and you guys are you know you got this win in, in the Open Cup so far. What's your assessment of the 2019? Season and what's maybe one or two areas that you think that you guys really need to improve upon to really take the next step.
1: Yeah, you know it's, it's interesting. You, you take me back more than a year, and it, and I think there's nothing wrong with that because I, I remember those days. Most people will probably regard them on the outside as being the days that you go, wow, it, it must be pretty dark and it must be a tough place to be. But I I look back and think it might have been the best moments of our lives. It might be the best moments of our careers because. I think when you're faced with that level of adversity, I mean, let's let's be clear here, we won the first game of the season and then lost eight straight. And if you include the Open Cup first round loss, it was nine straight. And a lot of people don't go through that adversity or don't come through that level of adversity. And I think that's a shame because I think the best lessons in life come from those moments. And I'm really proud of the fact that not only did we go through it and keep smiling and stay positive and, and keep improving every day, but we came through it uh, and we're a better team today because of that. And and there's no harm in looking back on that in a, in a proud way, I think, as as well as looking back and going, fellas, we don't ever want to be in that situation ever again. uh, and, And let's do everything we possibly can night and day to make sure that we give the players everything we can serve the players in the best way we can so that they have a better opportunity to be successful. And I think, if you look back on the first, you know, like you, you rightly say nine games, with one won one. I think we then won a game and then tied a game. So uh, I think going into this period last year, we might have had uh, seven points. Um, and it was, it was difficult to come out of, but, but credit to that group at the time. And we added in a couple of new players as well. They came through that very, very well. I think you learn about perseverance. You learn about the people you're around at that moment. And I think if you look at our record from then until now, it's probably one of the better ones in the whole of USL. Uh, however, we're, we're nowhere near where we need to be. Uh, we we want to keep improving. and We already think this season we could have uh, put a lot more points on the board and, and we've let a few points slip here and there, but that's football. Uh, one thing I can say is that I do feel we're in a great position now, uh, not because of where we are in the league table, but because... I think I can now see a vision for the club in the future that is incredibly positive and uh, one that I think we can achieve. With more hard-working people moving in the same direction, I believe we can achieve greatness. And there is no reason why OKC Energy can't become one of the top teams in USL, and not just for one year, but for many, many years ahead.
0: All right, Steve, we're going to open it up a bit here and keep it football-related, but also incorporate some personal stuff. We already talked about the Open Cup game on Tuesday and what a rollercoaster ride that was. And you and I had a funny go that it's kind of been like 2019. There's been some ups and downs. You're getting a bit used to it. You get done. Team wins you're having a thought you come home I gotta know beer wine or liquor Well you sit down to have a cocktail and just relax yourself what's the go- to
1: you know I'd only ever drank beer until I came to America and I can't remember the last <laughs> time I had beer Now now it's wine and and, uh, and it can it can be white it can be red but I've taken uh, I've taken to drinking a little bit of rose wine these days you know which sounds a, a, a little bit strange but uh, I, I do like a glass of wine after we played. Uh, I like to go out with uh, the coaching staff after we've played as well. The other night, we sat with uh, on Saturday night. We 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 won the game the other day and uh, we're sat in a, in a in a beautiful restaurant here in Oklahoma City. I've got a, a glass of sparkling rosé. Would you imagine? And the tornado sirens are going off outside. It was a wonderful experience. And I, I said to the guys, if we're going to go down, this is a hell of a way to do it. So enjoy the ride, you know. <laughs> um, So so that's typically what I do at the end of games. I like to relax after games, I think, uh, and, and share the moment with the people that work so hard with you every single day. We have a great coaching staff here and a great group of people working with us. Uh, and I always find after games it's nice to go and uh, relax and share some good moments with those people because I think they put a great deal of effort in and sometimes it's probably unnoticed. Coach, we've
0: asked this question to a couple of different people who have come on to the show. Anybody on your team in particular, outside of the coaching staff, but but one of your guys that you know you could go into a bar and and, and knock out a case of rosé and just close down and close down a bar in three <laughs>
1: hours of the night. All of them is the answer to that question. Uh, you know. Um, <laughs> You mean any one of the players or, or anybody in particular? Any one of the players. Oh man, you know, you know all of them, they've all got such interesting lives. That I think one of the be- beautiful things about our profession is that we, we're always around these young men and, and they are they have such great stories to tell. They're, they're, they've got youthful exuberance, some of them are a little more experienced than others in other areas, some of them have kids, but they come from such varied backgrounds and it's, it's really a, a wonderful thing, I think, in my life to be able to get to know their stories no matter where they're from or, or what they've done in their past, no matter, no matter what their backstory is. They all have such great experiences, not only to uh, share, but to teach me as well. And I think every day I learn a lot from these players. So in answer to the question about sharing a case of Rose, I, I would do that with anybody, probably on anybody on the planet and in an our team. Uh, I'm really fortunate to have a group of guys that are not only very good players and very good human beings, but I think they teach me a lot every single day as well, and I'm just really privileged to be able to keep learning with them.
0: So what I'm hearing is Cody Lorendi.
1: Yeah, you know, (laughs) Cody Lorendi is an interesting cat, you know. And and like a lot, you know, my discussions with the players typically are – Oftentimes football, but I like talking about their lives and, and what their dreams are, what their aspirations are, what are they're doing away from the field, you know, books that they read. And Cody Lorendi is a, is a, what a human being. Anybody who gets to know Cody Lorendi will all say the same thing. What a freaking amazing guy who is the, the epitome uh, of a good person. He cares about uh, so many different people and so many different things. And uh, he's one, you know... Obviously, some of the more experienced players, players nearer my age, you know, you, know, you have a, an instant connection with. But uh, quite often times, some of the young guys and, and some of the crazy stories that you hear from those guys are, are fun as well. Uh, and, uh, you know, like all of them, they've got great stories. I'm, re- I'm really lucky to be around this group of players. They're, 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 they really are a phenomenal group of guys.
0: Excellent. Um, so, Kevin and I, massive Liverpool fans. I think it'd be hard for us to find bigger American Liverpool fans within the continental United States. We have to know. Who do you support?
1: Yeah, I get asked this question a lot. Steve, who is your Premier League team? And every time I say Sheffield Wednesday, so... um,
0: (laughs) I'm sorry, I got to laugh.
1: That's so good. So so these, uh, you you know, look, I mean, I love watching Liverpool. I think they're they're as good of a team to watch anywhere in the world at the moment. I'm really looking forward to the game uh, in the Champions League. Danny Stone here on our coaching staff is a crazy Liverpool fan. His family have got four-season tickets to Anfield and they've had them for years. Uh, and on the other side of us, Alexis Vizarelis is a Tottenham fan. So it's going to be a tough week for me one way or the other. But, the, the, you know, uh, I love watching Liverpool. I've enjoyed watching the rise of Manchester City as well. But uh, if I'm being totally honest, uh, I hope they all lose all the time and Sheffield Wednesday get back there and start winning the Premier League. But uh, I think we might, have a, we might have a few darker days to come before then.
0: Steve, one prediction there I've got to ask. Based upon what you just said, who do you fancy this weekend? I mean, interesting ask between the two. You do the, uh, give me a prediction oh, on the Champions League. Who comes out as the winner? Well,
1: I, I, My prediction will be that Liverpool will win it. But given that I've made that prediction, you should probably all go put your money on Spurs, you know. Uh, <laughs> I think, you know, what, what Liverpool have done over the course of the last two years is absolutely remarkable. I think they've been phenomenal, especially this past season. Uh, And Tottenham, I think, have been really very steady and and have have been high quality. Uh, I was fortunate enough earlier this this season to go watch uh, Tottenham versus Man City at Wembley. And they've got a very good team and a very good uh, group of young players. And both teams, I think, play in a a very exciting uh, way. I think it should be a great game. Uh, I just feel that Liverpool might have a little bit too much uh, for Tottenham, both going forwards and also... You know, when you look at players like Virgil Van Dyke at the back, it's a it's a heck of a team, you know. And uh, you know, I think it should be a good game. And you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go too crazy with this prediction, but I'd expect Liverpool to come out on top.
0: We'll be reminisced if we didn't say happy birthday to. Steven Gerrard, love that guy. God, I would kill to be him. Anyway, I digress. Let's talk <laughs> about outside of soccer. <laughs> what do you um, what do you like to do outside of the uh, footballing world? Coach, I mean, obviously this this game is a beautiful one, and it, it seems to engross all of our lives. Tyler, myself included, of course you, and anyone involved in it, it seems like everything involved in our lives centers around it. it. Is if you step outside of that world, do you have hobbies or other interests that that are away from the game?
1: You know. I- you're, you're spot on. It's so all-encompassing. It, is, it Basically, football takes your life and, and moves it to wherever that is every single day of the week. Um, you know, I love to travel. I love to uh, go see new countries and, and taste taste new food and go find new cultures and experiences. So I love traveling. But one, one thing I've noticed on my travel is that I end up doing the same things wherever I am. So if you ask me what my hobbies are, You know, on a a typical day off for me will be I'll wake up, go get a coffee. And I love hanging out in a coffee shop or two, uh, chatting to one or two different people and and people who probably uh, totally unconnected with soccer. And some of them might even hate it. And then, you know, grab a bite to eat. I like walking around cities. I like I like finding new experiences. Um, so typically on days off, I do the same and I've learned now that I'm, I'm 50 that, uh, a little break in, in soccer for me means I end up doing pretty much the same things, which is going and relaxing and hanging out and reading and chatting to people. I love to read. I love to learn a lot more. I don't have any hobbies. Like I'm not saying, okay, I'm going to go skiing this week. And then next week I'm going to go mountain biking. That's not what I, that's not what typically I do. Uh, but I I have a real appreciation for people. I have a real appreciation for living life in a way that you want to live it. Uh, Soccer sometimes I think can get all encompassing and and you're literally uh, on it all the time and and your brain, even in off days, is really connected to the game. And I think it's important to try at least to get away from it a little bit. And, And for me, it really comes about relaxing, being with people who you care about and sharing some really happy times and 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 again if, if you ask me if i got a week off what would i do i'd go travel to a different part of the world that i hadn't been to yet
0: Coach, you mentioned the a couple things, uh, both earlier and just now, about, you know, you go for a walk and, and venture outside. It doesn't matter what city you're in. You said that before coming to the States, you had never really drank anything other than beer, and now we're pinky up rosé. Respect. Do you, is there anything you look at right now? <laughs> is there anything you look at now um, from a behavioral standpoint or just an activity that you kind of just go, shit, I'm American? Is this something that you picked up and, and that you've just gone, wow, you know, maybe you didn't do it before and now you're doing it regularly?
1: You know, I know. This is a brilliant question because I actually consider myself to be an American. And I think I may, I may be a little philosophical here, so forgive me. But I think this country is, is an amazing country. It, it's full of incredible people, uh, people from different backgrounds and different races and religions uh, and orientations. And I feel very, very much like I am an American. But I also know how I sound and how oftentimes I am perceived. Uh, to be uh, this English soccer coach when in reality now I've been here for so long since 1996 that really I'm an American soccer coach and more importantly culturally I feel more American than than I would any other uh, any anything else I certainly don't feel uh, as connected to England as some other people with my kind of accent but I think oftentimes in America we you know you hear different accents and people from different who might have their heritage or they might have been born in a different place but I think it's what's unique about this place. So if you ask me, do I do things that are uniquely American? Absolutely, every single day. I, I never thought I'd drink as much coffee as I do, but I do. Uh, I, I love um, I love the people here. I love the energy in this country. I like, for the most part, the positivity. I know we often hear on the news negative stories, but I love, for the most part, the positivity. Uh, and I, 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 love, I love everywhere I've been in this country. I've, I've been really fortunate to live in Scottsdale, Arizona. I've been fortunate to live in Las Vegas and my kids still live there so I go back there a lot. Colorado is an amazing place and I came to Oklahoma City thinking I wonder how this is going to turn out and I I've absolutely loved uh, the last year and a half year in Oklahoma City, the people, the place. And so I feel I feel not only uh, like I'm an American soccer coach but I feel like I'm really happy in America and uh, Hopefully that will mean I'll I'll be uh, one day looking back really old and in a rocking chair saying, wow, what a great life it was and, and what a great great country I was uh, fortunate enough to call home. Awesome
0: stuff, Coach. We've got a couple more and then we'll get out of here and go off to training and bigger and better things than the Three Honest Lads podcast. <laughs> All right, so we've asked this question before. We have to know, outside of TAP, where's your favorite place to go play in the USL Championship? And when you see this stadium on the schedule, where is your least favorite place to go play in the USL Championship?
1: Oh, wow. <laughs> That's a that's some question. Um, yeah, you know, there are so many good ones. I've actually liked the experience down at RGV. I think their stadium is absolutely fantastic uh, for a USL stadium. Phoenix Rising, I think, have done a brilliant job with their pop-up stadium. And I think that will continue to develop. Um, I'm really, really excited to go to New Mexico uh, in, a, in a week from now. You know, I think we're, we're, we're on the 5th of uh, June. I'm really excited there. And Troy Lussain is a great friend who... I'm excited to catch up with and he's told me all the great things about that atmosphere. Um, if you put me on the spot and say which one, oof, this, is a, this is a tricky question. I'm probably going to say Phoenix Rising because I have so many good friends there. Um, I've got a little bit of uh, a connection with, with their, their, their youth organization through great friends of mine. Uh, it's a great place to be. I think the fans are, have done a really good job of making that place a, a bit of a fortress and and, you know, I just think it's a really nice environment to go play in. So, probably Phoenix would be my number one. Uh, the worst one in the league, uh, whichever one you have the worst results in, you know. So, this season it's Sacramento, to be honest, because we lost there easily. Um, and then, you know, places where the locker rooms are not as great as they should be, I think, is probably the, the, the real answer to that. But, uh, you yeah. know, I think at USL, we're really fortunate because the league is growing, the league is developing. Stadiums are getting built and getting developed all the time. It's a growing league that I think uh, is only going to get better. The growth of it is exponential. So let's hope uh, that that continues for many, many years ahead because I think uh, it's an exciting time to be part of a league that is going to be something really, really major in a few years.
0: So, very clever what you did. You didn't throw one team under on the bus. You said Sacramento was about the results. that. I, I, I <laughs> over there. Don't, don't, think, don't think you're going under the radar. All right. Last <laughs> one, let's fast forward. USO Cup, November. You guys are coming off of a Western Conference final win in Phoenix. I'm just throwing that out there. I have no idea. Who do you think you would meet in the final? Who's coming out of the Eastern Conference from what you've seen oh. so far? If you have seen any of these.
1: Yeah, I've seen lots of the East You know, I, I think you know, there are some big teams in the East and Tampa Bay Rowdy has been one who we saw the other night who are a very, very good team. But I think when you look at Indy 11, when you look at Nashville, you you can't look past Louisville because they're, they're the team that have done it for uh, the last few years. You know, it, it it would be such a difficult prediction. And I think the USL can be so unpredictable. Uh, you'd not pick one. I mean, look, you can't really back against Louisville because they, they've done it until somebody knocks those guys off. Then uh, then it's, Then it's Louisville. But Again, when you look at Tampa and Indy 11 and Nashville, teams like this, and, and I think North Carolina are building something that is really exciting as well. I think there are some really, really good teams in the East. And uh, for, for anybody in the West to come out of the West, compete with those teams, it's going to take a, a real good performance. And, I, 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 you know, it's, it's interesting because I think you look forward to these days so much like the one we had against Tampa Bay Routers the other night. Uh, and they are different because you don't know each other so well. Sometimes when you're in the West, you get to know each other that well. But uh, whoever comes out of the East, I think is going to be a good team. But let me tell you, in the Western Conference this year, there are a lot of good teams. There are a lot of teams who will be not only looking to to, to get there, but they'll be looking to win the Cup this year. And I think, uh, again, we've, we've, we've got a lot of work ahead of us, but the West is looking uh, pretty interesting this year. It looks like it's going to be you know, any one of 18 teams that could win the whole thing. So, uh, we, you know, we have a lot of work to do but one, it's exciting and I'm glad you gave us a vision to go for to be playing uh, in a final sometime this year. So I can't wait for that. All right,
0: awesome stuff. And coach, we probably should have said this at the beginning of the podcast or when Devin was reaching out to you to set this up. But people and teams who have come on to this show have performed wildly, like incredibly poor. Martin Rennie came on in (laughs) 2011, got a red card and I think lost the following game. Austin Deleuze came on, he got a red card. I don't think Steve Trichu and Colorado Springs switchbacks have won a game since they've come on to the podcast. So if you experience any poor luck in the coming weeks or perhaps for the rest of the season, you can thoroughly blame us because at this point it's becoming just flat out outrageous and it's just sort of what's going to happen. So we apologize in advance. No, we're no, blaming no. Tyler. We're blaming Tyler. We're not blaming us because I don't bring it up, Coach. Notice that. It's a trend here. If you, It's like the elephant in the room. If you don't talk about the elephant, is the elephant really there?
1: Yeah, well, I, I would say this to you guys, and I, I appreciate you wanting to take some responsibility, but I'm not sure this is going to be the case. Uh, the good news about these streets, like all streets, they're made to be broken. So let's hope that we can break this little street you guys are on.
0: <laughs> Love all right,
1: Coach. Thank you so much. We appreciate your time. Thanks, My pleasure. Coach. Thank you so much for having me.